Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back, the Sports Psych MDs. This is episode 17, Moments of Mindfulness. We are going to be in the moment today with you guys, all right? Have you ever been to a yoga class or a meditation class and the instructor said, let's get in the present, let's eliminate all distractions and just be with ourselves in the now? Well, that's what we're going to do today, okay? We're going to be in the now of sports, right? We're going to be in the moment talking about the current events within sports, and this is going to be a recurring series, all right? So we're going to talk about Miles Garrett and that whole crazy situation with the helmet, and of course, we're going to talk about load management, all right? So buckle your seatbelts. Do you feel me? How's everybody doing? Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Sports Psych MDs. You feeling mindful? I'm just doing a little bit of deep breathing, trying to stay in the moment. You feeling in the moment, my friend? Absolutely. You ready to do this thing? That's what today's all about. It's about being in the present. Being mindful. In the here and now. So this is going to be a recurring series? Yeah, this is going to be a recurring series for us. Uh, This is episode... One of many. We don't know. Who knows? Um, we're in the moment right now. We're yeah. not thinking about the future. Um, but we want to do uh, a set of podcasts on mindfulness and how that relates to, to sports, right? We want to be in the now, in the current moment of sports, just like we tell our patients and our clients to, to be in the moment, be in the present when they're being mindful about their lives. Absolutely. So this is going to be a a series that pretty much current events, what's going on in the news. And we're going to talk about it in a way, a non-judgmental way. So let's first explain what mindfulness is a little bit. I know we've talked about it in previous episodes. It's it's huge with regards to what we try to implement within our patient care. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. With regards to everything. So mindfulness is all about what we're just saying, being in the moment, being present, being able to just focus on, What's in front of you, not paying attention to the past or the future and just... Yeah, or even like kind of the distractions going on around us in the moment, right? Being able to, to kind of focus on, you know, what matters most. Exactly. Being there with awareness in the present moment without judgment mm-hmm. and without rejecting the moment. That's right. Because that can become difficult because you always have these automatic feelings or thoughts that go on when you're in the moment and you just need to... It's okay to have those thoughts. Don't judge them. Don't try to reject them. Just feel them and be with them. It's, it's about being conscious. You know, we talk about this. I, I, I kind of feel like this is, is another bridge to what we were talking about in the last episode, mm-hmm. right? We talked about this notion of conscientiousness, mental flexibility, yeah. right? Being able to, to, to kind of stay focused on what matters most, right? Not being attached to frankly, other things, distractions. Yeah. There's an intention to it. So you're, it's kind of in the word mindful. You're living with awareness and you're doing this without judgment and without rejecting the moment. So you're noticing maybe consequences of your behavior. Yeah. No, yeah. You're noticing the potential consequences, right? The risk, you're aware of the risk. 
Here's what's the funny thing about anxiety. Okay, the reason why anxiety in and of itself is is a function that does have some very very important adaptive potential. Okay, um, you know, back when we were cavemen and women, you know, we didn't have necessarily like shelters with roofs, you know, and with walls and doors and locks and all these different things. We're out there in the wilderness. And, you know, in order for us to um, to survive out there, right, amongst all the predators around us, we had to have a fight or flight response, right? We had to have an ability to, you know, when, when danger came calling, to be able to basically dedicate all of our our functions, our faculties, our strength, our our speed, stamina, our willpower, frankly, right, to get as away as fast as possible, right? Like you see the National Geographic, mm-hmm. you know, these antelope or whatever that are the gazelle, <laughs> the gazelle or whatever. The, caribou. The caribou. Oh, it's all yeah. Poor caribou, right? Zebra. They they you just they they're desperately they're in fight or flight yeah right? they're desperately trying to to escape um, every once in a while they'll fight they'll try to fight back they'll use their oh, little yeah. tiny horns or maybe if they're a zebra they'll kick that's right that's right so you know when 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 that happens it's a moment of anxiety you know where we are ultimately taking control of that fight or flight but that's for survival. Right. And there's moments when that's important. But there's a lot of times when, frankly, we, we need to just kind of relax, you know, just chill, the, chill out. You yeah. know, like it's not it's not that serious. And what happens is when you start to to essentially concentrate so much, you know, fixate in some cases on what might happen the future. That'll exacerbate that fight or flight. Exactly. That it, it excites that fight or flight um, unnecessarily. So right? what, what you need to do is you need to be mindful in those moments. Exactly. So that means you need to kind of wake up from those automatic responses. You notice when you're panicking, when you're in fight or flight, take a step back. You notice your heart's racing. You notice you're shaking. Your palms are sweaty. Maybe you notice your breathing's a little off. Like I said before, your, your heart's beating out of your chest you start to have these thoughts like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here now. Mm-hmm. Um, this impending sense of doom. Maybe your stomach gets a little queasy. So take a step back and just notice all these bodily sensations and the thoughts that are going through Don't your head and your feelings. Them. Don't yeah. reject them. Yeah. Don't kind avoid them. Ride that wave and maybe tell yourself over time, I'm fine. I'm fine. There's no lion approaching me. That's right. And then over time, You'll just notice that everything kind of calms down. Yeah, and when you're when you start getting confident in that, you know, and and, and comfortable with that, and, and realizing, hey, I can do this. You don't have to get attached, right? You you don't have to get attached. You don't have to be attached to the moment. You don't even have to be attached to the the process of what you're doing, right? You're just you're just doing it. You know, you're 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 at ease. You're in control. Yeah. Imagine just being a pitcher and you bottom of the ninth, you, your team has a two-run lead. You're the closer. You're coming in to close this thing out with a two-run lead. First batter comes up, he, he hits a home run off you. And you start to have these negative thoughts. And you start to get these panic symptoms. You're like, oh. And then you start to be like, ah, oh, I just let another sweaty home run. Palms. I'm going to start the losing. sweaty palms. Yeah, and you start 
catastrophizing. You're like, oh, what if I let another home run? I'm going to blow this game for my team. Your hands are shaking. Next thing you know, you're going to get more shaky and sweaty. Your heart's going to continue to race. Your thoughts are going to spiral. But you have to throw this ball, right? You have to throw it on time, on target. So we're preaching just being in the moment, taking a step back. We'll talk about strategies of mindfulness, but deep breathing is a huge one. That's the one thing we can control is the pace of our breathing. And once you control the pace of your breathing, everything else kind of calms down. That tells your body that you're okay, that you don't need to be in fight or flight. Exactly. And then the shakiness goes away. The heart slows down. Yeah. And now you're in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're picking your spots. What's, you, what's your favorite uh, mindfulness practice? Oh, man. You know, one that's really good, um, really solid. Uh, and it's kind of been pretty well commercialized uh, the last time, kind of 20 years. So it's readily available. Yoga. Oh, you stole mine. <laughs> I love yoga. Yeah, the hot yoga, man. But it's it's really, um, yeah, the, the heat, you know, that's kind of an additional stressor, you know, something you have to kind of contend with, which I, I like. I like that added stressor, man, because, you know, when you can get through all those different kind of elements of stress, just be able to kind of focus on the moment, you know, yeah. focus on your breathing, yep. you know, Breathe, something they really the- ask you to do a lot. In yoga, but then what happens is you realize after a while, once you kind of get comfortable with the whole process, is that the whole focus on your breathing thing is really more of in sort of an analogy, right? It's more of kind of a gateway into realizing that you're in control, you know, that starts with the breathing, you know, you take control of that, um, you know, it makes you more relaxed and at ease. Then you realize it can happen in other circumstances too, even beyond just my breathing. Yeah, and I, that's I love that because the breathing physiologically calms your body, but also it's like a, there's a mental aspect to it as well. But the yoga, you also have that physical aspect where you're you're holding these kind of difficult positions for long periods of time and trying to stay relaxed. And another one I like is progressive muscle relaxation, which is as simple as just flexing your biceps and then allowing them to relax and then you kind of notice that's what a relaxed muscle feels like and you notice well maybe i've been carrying all this tension i've mm-hmm. been tensed up all day and this is actually what it means to feel relaxed yep um so those those are a couple of great ones and just taking a walk in nature and walking around and observing everything you see um taking you'd be in amazed the sense listening to everything you'd be really surprised sometimes when you just kind of take a step back you know and just look around and kind of just think about senses that you don't often use you know just kind of listen a little Mm -hmm. more closely try to maybe take in you know the smell when you're out in nature kind of and look closer at you know just observe the ground the flowers you know the trees the leaves it's like appreciation without judging another common one is meditation Mm -hmm. and i've heard this a lot people struggle or say they struggle with meditation because they can't get their mind to shut off it's i just sit there for uh, almost an hour and i my mind just keeps wandering that's okay there's actually certain techniques of meditation where you allow your mind and your thoughts to go wherever And the key is just not to judge them, to not to rein them in. You're not trying to not think. You're just trying to let things go and allow your mind to go wherever it wants to go go. without adding fuel to the fire or without trying to restrain it. No, that's great, man. That's, that's really cool. Cause like, I, I, that's one thing that a lot of, a lot of folks, I don't, I don't think they appreciate it enough. You know, the, the, the notion that sometimes it's not about what you don't necessarily have, you know, and, 
or what you need to, to have, what you need to get. Oh gosh, you know this what you're missing. Age? Sometimes it's about what you haven't let go of. Ooh, I like that. Well, this like what you said. This day and age, it's so difficult because everyone's on social media, looking. Everyone's putting on their best face on social media. So you're comparing yourself to all these other people, and you want what they have oftentimes or what you think they have. Yeah. And but at the end of the day, the person behind that telephone screen is just like you and me. They're they're sitting there doing the exact same thing, wishing they had what you had. Mm -hmm. So this is about just being kind of present in the moment and appreciative without judging. Oh yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude. That's yeah. great. You so know? this is the foundation for this podcast series right. or these series of episodes. Um, so you want to go ahead and start talking about what's been in the moment recently, what's in the news right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about that and I will, we will talk about that. If you will allow me, you got something more juicy. I well, just for a minute, yeah, just for in, a moment, get in there. just for a moment. All right, I just want to stop, and just want to say, you know, letting go is is a really really hard thing because we're not really. I feel like we're not these days. Social media maybe has a lot to do with it, other things too. We're not really wired to be about letting go of things, right? We're we're wired to be be about more about like. What, what we can get, you know, we got to get as much as we can, you know, have as much as we can, you know, life is so short, you know, we got to get in where we fit in. And, and, you know, a lot of it's about accumulating assets and things, you know, things we can call our own possessions. Yeah. The, the tough thing. And a lot of people think it's a zero sum game. So one yeah. other person's gain is their loss. Exactly. And the tough thing about possessions, to, you know, having to kind of own all of these assets, uh, baggage, you know, if you will, you can look at it that way. Temporary pleasures. These things all require our energy, all require a lot of us. They're stressors. They're stressors. You know, I mean, and some things, some of these things can be adding to our lives. You know, I think, for instance, like the relationships with certain family members, obviously parents, okay. that's going to be adding to our it's lives. Meaningful. Hopefully if it's a healthy, if those are healthy attachments and everything. Um, but a lot of relationships sometimes are just, you know, kind of draining, you know, just taxing, just taking time, energy and effort and not necessarily giving a whole lot in return. And, and we have when we have those types of attachments, then it just becomes stress. Now, here's the thing. So much stress, too much stress. I and mean, we can be mindful about it. Let's talk about it. I mean, it, it, it's like a weight, it's extra weight on us, you know, and, and that's something that we're going to have to contend with and deal with because those are things that are going to obviously be distractions, right? And shift us from our focus on the things that really, really matter okay. in the moment, you know, in the time of our lives and we need, really need to be focused the most, for All example, right. on school, yeah. on practice, on preparation. If we're athletes, you know, if we have big goals and dreams and aspirations, you know, I, we have to know when the time is right. Yeah. I thought you were going at it from like monetary items and you went, you said relations, certain relationships are also going to so be, we can go a lot of ways. And what it. you're talking about is anything that distracts you from the present moment exactly. and from your, your core values, core, from your core values, what matters the most, you know, in, in what, you have ultimately set out to achieve. I'm one of these people. I believe that everyone, every one of us, you know, another core value, something we all share in common is we all have dreams and aspirations and goals. You know, 
whatever they are. So you're saying being mindful can help you reach your goals and aspirations. That's exactly what I'm saying. All right. So being mindful, you're preparing yourself for the future, Mm -hmm. even though being mindful means you're not thinking about the future. That's right. All right. So what's in the news? What's What's been going on? What's hot right now? What's current? Do you want to talk about load management first? Why not? I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, hot right now. It personally impacted Armin and I's basketball, NBA basketball (laughs) viewing experience. I know. Last night. Yeah. We went to the Clippers game last night. Um, It was supposed to be the, the first game that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George played together. I was so excited. Arm, yeah, Arm and I were both anticipating being able to break down this combination. How's this duo going to look? Are they going to look like they can challenge the Lakers? Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't want get to that. see it live. You know, and, and and let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Um, for those of you who uh, you know have had the pleasure of seeing live performances, like live professional, you know, sports games, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, hockey, you know, golf, whatever your you know your your thing is. I mean, it, you know that the experience of watching something live is, I mean, it, oh man. It's Not to mention at the Staples Center. In the Staples Center, Even yes. though it was a, a Clippers home game and they still, they have the lights on in the crowd. Yeah, like it's, a, Clip- it's different experience. I like Not when the they dim those lights at the mm-hmm. Lakers game. It's kind of Yeah, dope. Lakers game is, is yeah, it, it's, it's clearly, it's just a, a cut yeah, above. Yeah, we talked it's a, a cut lot above. About, I hate yeah. to say it. I mean, there was a lot of promotions last night for the Clippers. We got a free hat. There was T-shirt. <laughs> tosses yeah the, their mascot is like this weird bird you know what's crazy the the most different thing though um about being at this game having gone to, to lakers games and just you know sort of and a funny thing and it, it was it was the same opponent so it was the hawks last night and the last lakers game i went to last season was against the hawks and it, the difference actually the biggest difference was the with the fans right like at a lakers game it doesn't matter where you are in that in that arena right those are like professional fans, right? They, they know sports. They know that team. They know that team in and out. All of them do. They have so much pride, so much energy, right? And so much enthusiasm. And there's always a packed game? house for the Lakers game. It's a packed house, but you're going to get people that are just there for the scene. Well, you have that too. You have, you have, That's different. You have That's Hollywood. Yeah. You have Hollywood. You have money, you know, people, you know, whatever. The money, people with money that just want to be, uh, you know, on the scene. But, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I, I just remember the fans around me in the Clippers game, their enthusiasm level, you know, it's just the, they're, the, you can hear people talk. Yeah. The conversations around you, the chatter. Like the Lakers games, there was this personal connection. It's hard to explain. They were like, you know, it'd be like, come on, Bron, like you can do it. You know, or like, you know, they would make these comments, especially about the younger guys, you know, like they, they felt this personal okay. connection. Like okay. they were family. You were saying something last night about you, how you think the Clippers are like a, a small market team they, in a big city. They are, well, they, well, there are two things, okay? I think that one of these things they might be able to correct, but there, there's two bad things I see with the, the, you know, sort of identity of the Clippers, okay? Number one, they are a small market team or small, not, you know, small-ish, meaning like the Green Bay Packers are a small market, you know, that uh, Milwaukee market, smaller market, right? Um, but that's a successful team, a small market, but a successful franchise, you know, a storied franchise. But franchise they're in L.A. That's time. a huge market. But 90 percent, I think, you know, of the f- people that watch basketball in Los Angeles are maybe that's a high number. Maybe it's a little bit high, but I would say at least 75 percent, you know, 
three out of every four people you talk to in, in, in Los Angeles are going to be Lakers fans, right? And and so even though yes, it's a huge market, LA, you know, is the second largest city in this country. Um, most of this market belongs to the Lakers. Okay, yeah. so they do have a, a small. There's a small piece of the pie within. But then there's LA, this other element. LA too. sports fans are so fickle. I feel like they only care about Dodgers and Lakers. The Rams, a little bit are coming over. No one cares about the Chargers or the Clippers. I think it may change. It's it, well, it has a to change. It has to change. Okay, and that's what they're trying to do. And I and I think we'll, we'll see what they're trying to do with Kawhi and with Paul George. Right, is become champions. We're talking so, about two of the best wingmen yes, in the game. Yes, Both and they have eight, a chance. They have a legitimate top chance. Top five offensive players, top five defensive players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might, and mean, that's the combination. You're not arguing? All right. That's the combination. In that's the, the league, formula the tan- talent-wise. Tandem. So even a, a small market like Green Bay, right, can have success because they have been champions. That's what makes the difference. They are champions, and that's what the Clippers have to do. So that's what I, that was the second thing that was missing when I looked around. They the can Clippers. encapsulate the international. There were no banners, okay? Yeah. No championship banners. They, in they rolled arena. up the Lakers banners? Exactly. But no championship banners nonetheless. Well, we were also talking about how, is there a way for them to encapsulate the international crowd? Maybe they can, Bomber can go and grease the elbows of they some, can do uh, whatever they want. The Chinese government okay. to make them force them to play the Clippers games over the Lakers games. They can do whatever they want. Maybe that's all a right. strategy. They can bring in, you know, bring out all the stops. But the Lakers um, brand um, they're, they're, surpasses sports. It's, it, it goes beyond sports. Exactly because they've won multiple championships all right. over so, decades. So let's go back to this load management. So Armin and I, we're going to this game. We're pumped. We get to see the two of the best players in the league play together for the first time ever in Clippers uniforms. And I think it was halfway through the first quarter. I'm like, I haven't seen Kawhi out there yet. Get on Twitter. Yeah. Sitting out with... Uh, knee contusion or oh some, some God. sort of it knee It was so thing. disappointing. Uh, you automatically know it's load management because he's been doing this all season. But it wasn't a back-to-back situation, right? Exactly. So and they had come out and said that, um, you know, he had signed some, I don't know, contract. I don't know exactly what the, the level of agreement was, but um, there was some form of agreement that he would be able to sit out uh, on back-to-back. So um, he hasn't because played, of this injury, right? He hasn't played both games and back-to-backs since 2017 he'll only play one of the two so he started doing it with the spurs he did it all last year with toronto and he's right. done it so far this year with the clippers right so he's but he's changed teams now and gotten this team to agree that this is like part of the deal let's give a little backstory here so yeah. in 2017 the nba implemented a rule prohibiting teams from resting healthy players from high profile nationally televised games Punishable up to a hundred thousand dollar fine, and this was in response to a growing discontent from the fans. And I think the first person to actually start doing this was Popovich for the Spurs. Remember, he would oh, rest the entire yeah. starting lineup like wow. randomly. It all and comes full circle. You'd huh? have like the Spurs game on a Thursday night That's where it's right. like the starters are like, and on Tiago Splitter is like the best player out there. Or right, Tiago's. <laughs> Remember that block? Remember when LeBron blocked his dunk? Oh, that was he was, awesome. a, he was a seven footer, right? Yeah, that was that was amazing. Yeah. So anyway, that's when it all started. But then it, it now it's you you can't talk about NBA, especially in LA, without load management coming up. I think Le, people started talking about last year with LeBron. Kawhi kind of did it under the radar, but now it's Kawhi's been more the the spot on the spotlight this year. But last year was LeBron was the first one to kind of 
That's well, what I no, I don't know. No, I, they see. Okay, but I'm he sorry, a, no, he no, a, no. I'm glad. I'm so injury. glad that that you opened that can up because, see, I don't think they ever really attached the load management stamp label, you know, scarlet letter, uh, to LeBron. Like, what I, there, I do? Okay, because there's a difference, right? Like, so there's people who either are injured or, or excuse me, just like coming back from an injury, right? So they're sort of like. Something like part of a rehabilitation program, right? So we're going to get them back. We're going to get them back onto the floor, but ease them back in. You know, and we do this in medicine, right? We, we taper down or we titrate up in terms of dosing of medicines. Yeah, and if someone gets discharged from the hospital, we see them as an outpatient maybe once a week and then mm-hmm. every two weeks, then once a month, and then once yeah. every three months, kind of a progression. So this makes sense. You know, when someone is, is in rehab, you know, they're coming back from an injury or maybe there's something we're trying to prevent or they have some sort of chronic condition. And this is just part of uh, the process of getting them back to full health. Yeah. But my, my thing is, at what point does the person come get back to full health? You know, where now we can just expect that they're going to be on the floor supporting the team day to day like any other player. Yeah. So what you're saying is, I think it was last year, LeBron, did he hurt his knee? Hurt some. Uh, some lower body injury, and he was out for a set of games. And when he well, came the groin, back, yeah, okay. you know, so that, he always talks about his groin. Okay, his, he, his groin. He missed several something. games. I think it was for the groin injury. Yeah. and he when he came back, he didn't just start playing every single game. He was on a quote unquote load management schedule, but that was coming yeah. tapering his playback from an injury. So that in that frame, you, that's respectable. That's the correct way load management should be used. Yeah, and so last year. Uh, when Kawhi was with Toronto, right? That was the year uh, of his, like, kind of his recovery, his rehab, right? He came off from missing and, almost an entire season. Yeah. And, you know, no one really knew exactly what was going on with the injury. You know, I've, I've heard different, you know, kind of diagnosis all seem relatively functional to me. But at the end of the day, you know, it's what he was dealing with. And, you know, but it seemed like he got a good year, right? A good year to sort of rehab and recover. And then it seemed like, at least what I understood, the playoffs last year, it just sort of coincided in, in terms of the timeline time of his rehab with his being at full strength, which is why he was able to essentially play just about every game. Yeah, right? he still kind of looked a little bit dinged up, but yeah, maybe that's just his way of playing. So let me just define load management real quick for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. All right, so this is from the, the founder and director of the Peak Performance Project, Dr. Marcus Elliott. He, he calls, load management is about lowering the threshold of a load on a player so that he's able to recover and decrease the risk of injury or chronic fatigue. So that kind of leaves the door open. Yeah, yeah, it does. So yeah, it does. that sounds more like almost a preventative technique. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, and I think in that's that regard, how it's I think year. that that's kind of the loophole, you know, that that has enabled this almost like seem like this new policy, which seems kind of in line with this player empowerment movement we've seen in which Kawhi Leonard has gotten the league to agree that yeah. um, so as part of his ongoing rehabilitation process, he's going to kind of be able to sit out when yeah. know, he needs to. He's been deemed by the, the Clippers medical staff in the NBA has vouched for it that he's not healthy enough for back-to-back games. And mm. this became an issue because Doc Rivers in an interview said that 
Kawhi was was great, and there was nothing wrong. He ended up getting fined fifty thousand dollars. That's that's wild to me. Yeah. So even the coaching because staff who's contrast. watching him in practice, yeah. their eye test isn't seeing injury. Yep. All right. So there's a, apparently a chronic injury, or you know something we're trying to prevent from happening, but no one's really seeing it. So yeah, we don't know whether it's because he has a, some sort of chronic injury that could flare up with playing a full 82 games or is this all just for him to be able to be at his peak during the playoffs Mm, you never know and then so um i used the term earlier functional like you know i i want to explore that a little bit more you know we do have this set of medical conditions that will be seen potentially by a psychiatrist or a neurologist you know, actually, primary care doctors as well. You know, I shouldn't limit it. Um, even digestive medicine specialists, you know, like GI doctors. Um, you know, where these conditions where um, you have symptoms of uh, like legitimate symptoms, credible symptoms that uh, a patient will present with, uh, often affecting, you know, the neurological system, so a, a weakness a you know, sensory change, whether it's um, a numbness or even a heightened sensation like a pain, you know, but some sort of disturbance that is, it can't be detected on any sort of study, like an imaging study, uh, a lab, laboratory yeah, test. A medical reason can't be found. Yeah. Uh, so there's no objective way of, of kind of like validating the symptom. But the way the, the patient describes a symptom is in line with the, the medical context of you know, what this experience would be like. And then when you see the condition play out in real time, you know, I saw, for example, many seizures in the emergency room uh, as a neurology resident. And many times we would test these seizures with an EEG, an electroencephalogram. Um, which is uh, a test we use to measure uh, the brain waves. Measure the brain wave. Yeah, a lot of times the EEG will be negative. All right, and you're looking at this thing, and clinically, and you're seeing this person having a seizure, and you're treating them with the same medicines you would treat any seizure with, benzodiazepines like Ativan, right? I buy IV, and um, the person responds to to the medicine. Um, you know, and sometimes they don't respond quite the same way, but nevertheless. It, it looks, you, you can't really tell any different from the real thing until you hook them up to the test, the study, and you realize that it's not the same. And so you ask yourself, well, where is this coming from? You know, um, how, how is the, the test not validating the experience? Um, the easiest but, example of like somatic symptoms would be like a little kid that has a stomach ache before going to school and he doesn't want to go to school and says, mom, my stomach really hurts. Maybe his stomach does hurt, um, mm-hmm. but it's not because he ate something bad. It's because he's anxious. He's nervous yeah. about going to school, and that's the most that's common example of a somatic symptom. The pain is real. That stomach ache is real. Well, there's no organic, like, organic cause, yeah. right? You know, and so when we say organic, what we what we mean is that you know we should be able to measure the biological shifts and changes that would happen in an actual disease process. Yeah. You know, we're sophisticated enough in terms of our diagnostic testing and analysis 
that we can, you know, pretty much with an, a, a CAT scan or MRI, you know, we can take a picture that enables us to see with pretty fine resolution what is going on inside most of the organ systems of the body. And then we have functional testing as well that can enable us to, to you know, to kind of see if there's something going on there. Lab testing, for example, uh, with the chemical reactions. But ultimately, we should be able to, to know if there's been a biological shift. And sometimes that's not what it is. Sometimes it, the shift hasn't reached the point of biological. It, it's still psychological. You know, it, it's something that is a function of the mind, mm-hmm. you know, something we, we believe to be true that is sort of manifesting as something we, you know, are experiencing as a, as a feeling, but there's that, no inflammatory process. Exactly. That, that pain's real. The way you feel the pain, mm-hmm. it, that's a real sensation, a real feeling, but there's no like mechanical injury on imaging right. or structural damage. Mm-hmm. It's more of the stress that's built up and it, it causes you to feel this as if you have a bum knee or a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. And um, we've said this many times before, yeah. you know, the mind-body connection, you know, so... Um, I still, a lot of people don't understand that. When, yeah. I mean, if you look back to the, your, when you were really stressed out at one point in time, maybe you did it. Like, maybe you had a queasy stomach. Maybe you had mm-hmm. to take a fear dump. Mm-hmm. You ever get nervous? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> you know? We've all been there. Like, the stress and the nerves, that gets your body going in weird ways, and it can send signals to your, to your brain that something's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, man. Yeah. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Yeah. It's just like that feeling that you feel like you're gonna die when you have a panic attack, because that's that's that feeling that you feel when your body starts sending you all these weird signals. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes we're feeling that way, but it's it's really more what we're experiencing. Okay. Let's be clear. Let's be mindful. And, you know about what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. We're anticipating you know, some negative outcome call it worry right but we're we're sort of taking the energy on of predicting danger right and invoking that fight or flight response needlessly yeah because we can't predict the future yeah. right we don't know what's going to happen right we don't like we talked about third down right we talked about that free throw line shot when there's no time left in the clock, you're down by, you know, a point or two. And you, you have to make both of those shots, all three of those shots, whatever the case may be, to get your team back into the game, you know, or to win the game, right? It's on you. Like, we all, I think, can relate to the fact that that's going to be a lot of pressure. Right? A lot of stress. A lot of stress. A lot of reasons to be nervous. But, but okay, A lot just, of room for your mind to wander. Right. But... We can take control. And we know we can take control because we did it when we were being mindful with our breathing. And we learned to control our breathing. So we can control the present moment too, or at least how we respond to it, right? What we're going to do in this moment. And what we can do in this moment, right, is block out all the distractions. And we can attune our focus onto, you know, the singular goal of making that shot, making that play, you know, that pass, you know, that throw, that run across the goal line, or whatever the challenge may be. Even simpler than that, at the free throw line, you'd be mindful to just do your ritual that you always do, that you've done in practice Mm -hmm. a million times, that you've done by yourself after practice a thousand times. 
just one step at a time. Just do what you normal. Just do what you do. And I think what you're attesting to is being mindful is going to help you with those somatic complaints, those mm-hmm. the, those functional complaints. Where if you're not mindful enough, you're going to let that stress build up inside you, and it's going to manifest itself as a physical complaint. It can manifest itself as a pain in your knee, a pain in your ankle, a bad back, yeah. headaches. Don't predict that something bad is going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. No one knows anything. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Okay? Easier said than done. So that's why it takes practice. You practice this when you're home alone, relaxed. Practice the deep breathing. Practice the mindfulness meditation. Practice the yoga. Practice taking walks and just observing what's around you. These are things that you want to practice when you're in a calm state. So when you're in this hectic state, you can go right towards your practice. That's right. And just like you've shot that free throw a thousand times after practice, you also practiced mindfulness. So it's going to be easy. It's going to be just another uh, practice to implement into your regimen. And it's it's become a great technique to um, eliminate distractions. Yeah, so... So before we step into the next section, let's talk a little bit about why load management may be something of the future for the NBA. Well, the fans like Armin and I, we we didn't like going to that Clippers game and finding out when we arrived yeah. that Kawhi wasn't playing. Yeah, no, uh, I didn't love that. I man. mean, on the one hand, I mean, I, I do get it, like, as far as, like, competitive advantage. Like, you want to have your best guys fresh and healthy for the playoffs. Yeah, I get all Mark that. Cuban made a statement, like, we pay these guys not to win games, but to win championships. Yeah. So if that takes being adequately rested for the playoffs, that's going to give you the best chance to win a championship. Um, most fans would agree to that. They want championships more than anything. But what about that kid that lives in Bakersfield and his mom surprised him with tickets and drove him all the way down to see the Clippers play the Hawks on Saturday night? Yeah, Spent a lot yeah. of money um, to go there. Maybe they got a hotel room that night, and they're not, they can't necessarily afford to come back again. And they go and they show up, and Kawhi Leonard's not playing. His favorite player. Yeah, got the jersey. Isn't he like one of the top selling jerseys exactly. now? The New so Balance. That's going to be. How in the world do you resurrect New Balance? I mean, come on. It it's fits perfectly. Shoe. It fits perfectly. They're hot right now, too. Boardman gets paid. But that kid's going to be devastated. Yeah. And that mom's going to be frustrated as hell. So these are the things that maybe the players aren't necessarily thinking about. They're hoping that in the end, that kid is going to be happy when the Clippers win the Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah. So, but and then it also comes back to values, you know, like good old fashioned values, because we want to see winners, you know, we want to see our teams win, we want to see Kawhi, you know, and, and Paul George, you know, take home that title and, um, you know, get MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, you yeah. know, whatever, just win, you know, winning, it's great, but winning the right way, and so it comes back to like, is this competitive advantage also in line with sportsmanship and with leadership and, you know, kind of doing the right things in terms of giving the fans, you know, what, what they paid for. I mean, yeah. it's not like you get a discount at the box office. Yeah. They're not know. handing out rain checks. No, nah, that's not happening. You know, yeah. so you got to take all those things into consideration. Yeah. So there's, before we leave load management, I want to talk about, I know the MBA and the MBPA both have their own mental health initiatives where the MBA is like, Hey, we got a mental health professional on staff and the MBPA, Hey, you can go outside the team, outside the MBA to see someone in the community. And I wonder how mental illness, chronic mental illness, like depression or major depressive disorder, factors mm-hmm. into this. Because could you see a scenario in the future where a player's sitting for quote-unquote load management because of a mental illness? 
Mm. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I mean, something just, to think about. Yeah. Just like Kawhi has a, a, a knee that isn't up to par to play back to back games, maybe someone has a major depressive disorder or a bipolar disorder. And with regards to kind of back to back games and lack of sleep and the cross country flights, maybe they're not up to par to play back to back games. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, you know, and we, we've mentioned this before in earlier episodes, major depressive disorder, uh, you know, it affects a good chunk of the population. I mean, you know, we think anywhere from, you know, probably 10 to 20 percent of the population, depending on which statistic you're looking at, is affected by depression. And, you know, depression is a pathway to all kinds of other things. You know, we've talked about you know, the anxieties, you know, even cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think load management, it's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to that. We'll see developments throughout the year. Um, I mean, those are all, yeah, but when, if you want to to, to really look at this from a, a broader context, should athletes be looked at uh, or be given a different set of rights and privileges than you know, the common worker, right, who has workers' comp? I get eight sick days. And yeah, exactly. Right. Um, sick days. And when there's an injury on the job, I mean, you know, there's a whole process where you can be out. Now, I work with Department of Mental Health as uh, a, a staff psychiatrist for one of their major programs in South L.A. in the Compton Clinic. And so many people, you know, on medic Medi-Cal is our, is our Medicaid, our state health insurance who are patients at that clinic that are uh, disabled and therefore not a part of the workforce uh, and disabled because of some sort of chronic mental illness. Therefore, they're they're given money, taxpayer dollars every month uh, to, you know, sort of function and, and live and survive and sustain. It's not a lot, you know, not to get by, but because the state and federal government have agreed, you know, based on a, a doctor's notes and evaluation, that I had to write these things all the time. You know, these evaluations for, for these people who are chronically disabled and, yeah. and receiving they assistance. Get that SSI, yeah. so, extra social security. Income. So this is, you know, we we have, of course, you know, we we expect much more of our athletes, you know, and. And we look up to these people and, you know, these fat contracts and all these things. There's all these different things that go into it. And I get it. But they have rights. They're citizens just like you yeah. and me. And an injury related to work, you know, that how do we deal well, with that? Well, think about how the, do we legislate that? Think about the VA, the Veterans Administration. Like I've said before, we work with veterans and their system, when you come to the VA for your care, their service connection. And if you're 100% service connected with PTSD and deemed unemployable due to your PTSD, your post-traumatic stress disorder, then you get a lump sum every month. And it's not bad. Mm-mm. About $3,500 a month. What, it, 100% service connected. Absolutely. You know, you get you by. And that can include housing as I mean, well. So know, that- LA is still tough. I mean, you know, that's still, mm-hmm. still going to be tough in LA, but it's a pretty <clears throat> decent amount. Anyways, and maybe that's something that, the, that these big leagues are going to look into, but that's something that's federally funded, obviously, and structured. Mm-hmm. So the next topic. Did next you watch topic. Thursday night football? I did. Steelers Browns. Yeah, man. Speaking of keeping it together, fight and or staying flight. in the moment, and fight or flight, 
and mindfulness and conscientiousness and all these things we've been talking about. What the hell got into that dude's mind? And that, you know, that what two, three second, you know, just moment he lost control. Yeah. What, what do you think? Fight or flight? And he yeah, the, I mean, went with the fight. You know, well, clearly the id uh, factor you know, kind of taken over. All, it, Good old trifecta. Why we're conceptualizing it this way is because we're assuming that he wasn't thinking in that moment and it was all automatic. And right. people say, oh, he was seeing red. He blacked out. A lot of sports personalities were throwing out those terms. And essentially, mm-hmm. that means he went into fight or flight and he mm-hmm. fought. And he did things not thinking rationally, not thinking about the consequences, acting purely off emotion. And in a sense, he did black out. He blacked out in terms of losing the control in that prefrontal cortex you referred to. Dating back to last episode. Right. uh, Last episode, the prefrontal cortex. Shut uh, off. The ego and then, you know, super ego connection, the, the judgment, right? That, that kind of feeds back to the you know, subcortical areas, you know, down there in the deeper layers where the amygdala, yeah. the cingulate gyrus, the hippocampus, you know, all these things come together. They're communicating with the stored memories and the emotions, you know, and our drives and impulses, right? And all of a sudden, boom, right? Because they, take, take, they don't have the feedback, the control, the voluntary control, like our will like our knowledge and awareness of what's right and what's wrong and the values mm-hmm. that we've embraced all yeah. these years you know our parents taught us hopefully growing up but if nothing else like the team yeah you know so the, the team taught us our players around us like our communities you know society is like you don't apply force that's unequal under those circumstances you know it, 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 there was just this sort of it's fight or flight, right? Because you're supposed to measure the risk. You're supposed to be able to make an appropriate measure of the risk. If you're in the moment, you can do that. But if instead you're anticipating this danger, like you've decided that something really bad is going to happen, you have no evidence to support it, but anxiety, fight or flight takes over, right? And now all of a sudden you, you believe something bad is going to happen, and you react to mm-hmm. it. You can't be proactive because yeah. you're not in control. Yeah. So you're not in the moment. So obviously football is a violent sport, but people on TV have been saying they've been watching football for years and years. Nothing like this has ever happened. And this was out of the realm of actual like football. The guy, for those of you who don't know, he took the quarterback's helmet off his head and attempted to bash him in the head with his helmet he didn't attempt yeah no he listen he it was a full three six it wasn't like a love tap you know like you know there's different types of ways to kind of you know he could have i don't know and you've seen the videos of like people doing that on chairs and breaking the chairs could have fractured this guy's skull easily yeah you gotta hit him pretty yeah concussion uh, what you you were saying Um, is blacking out his prefrontal cortex the higher thinking, the impulse control, the rational thinking, that shut off. A switch was flipped where that shut off and he was running purely off his subcortical, his amygdala, his emotion center. So running pure off emotions in that fight or flight, not thinking. So that's blacking out, that's seeing red. And at that moment, fighting. 
And that is that, are we making an assumption here that that's what was happening? Or was he, you think he was in complete control, being mindful and kind of um, assessing what's go, the situation? Mm. <laughs> well, Should if I he take was, If help? he was in complete control of that decision and he decided that was the best course of action, now we're talking psychopathy. Okay. okay. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like now we're saying this, this guy, this may be a bad guy. Maybe we're talking like lifetime ban. All right. If there was truly intent to harm in that way, um, if it was just accident, I guess accidental, is that the right term? Incidental, like you said, fight or flight. And therefore you weren't in control. You know, that's what the evidence suggests. And that's what, you know, uh, Miles Garrett states. Then, you know, I think the consequences, you know, the, the penalty that he got was appropriate. Yeah, so he's indefinitely suspended, at least for this season in the playoffs, although the Browns probably won't make the playoffs. And then he has to meet with the commissioner yeah. and t- talk about this before he gets reinstated. Yeah. So it's an unprecedented kind of suspension um, in a way. And he never had any previous suspensions, but he had some previous fines for some late hits. But if anybody's kind of done research on this individual, he this seems out of character. So I think it's safe to say that this was a, an emotional fight or flight reaction and it's it's just that's just an example of what happens when you get flipped into the fight or flight anything can happen because it's based off emotions yeah and and as a as a physician you know as someone who's um you know seen behavior at its at its worst you know in some of the psychiatric psychiatric units that i've worked in you know i i must say um I, I immediately start thinking about prevention when something like this happens because my mind, when I see this, I'm like, man, okay, I ha- I've been watching sports, football, NFL uh, in particular, Denver my whole life, you know, so I've never seen anything like this before. Um, and I, I never want to see anything like this again. It, it was so unproportional, even though he was disproportional pro- he was, for he was sure. Definitely provoked, but it yeah. was just so disproportionate. And I think the main thing is completely is ridiculous. These fight or flight, this, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, like you mentioned before, this fight or flight, it's it's there for a reason. It's survival. So yeah. in that instance, we're trying to conceptualize this as him feeling like his life is in jeopardy, or yeah. he, he's fighting yeah. to survive. Yeah, and and it's like, man, we're we're playing a game out here. And, and that that <laughs> right, the, what are you his, doing? His actions would have been. We different. weren't even like on the street. Exactly, and but his actions with that in mind, that he's trying to survive then it's more proportionate but and this is the type of stuff man you know i i so we keep talking about it we go back to these things you know like traumas aces right i think immediately again as a clinician because this is how we think you know you just i think about what when what happened you know in this guy's past you know or whatever that just kind of leaped out of him in that moment um that caused him to, to react in that way, to have that kind of fear? You know, what does he need to let go of? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Um, and we don't know. We don't know. And, and for me, it, it just kind of underscores the, the value, you know, of a well-conditioned mental health and wellness program, you know, what it can do. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about preventing these kind of things and from happening. And I think happening. mindfulness practices. Absolutely. And we don't know. Maybe Miles Garrett practices mindfulness every day, and it just... He couldn't find it in that moment, but I think we gotta work a little harder. <laughs> exactly, I mean, we gotta practice a little talk. more. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, I, that's 
we're not making any grand assumptions saying that. No, this isn't. No, we're not making any assumptions at all. Um, you know, I'm just kind of wanting to think through this because at the end of the day, it's it's about player safety. Yeah. I mean, you know, these these men, all, all athletes. Okay, so there's men and women out here. You know, they put it all on the line, not just on the court, on the floor, on the field, but every day behind the scenes in practice. You know, getting it in, laying it on the line. Some of them are very well paid, you know, well compensated for what they do, you know, well deserved. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're still putting in a lot of work to put a good product on the court field for us. You know, we have to take pride in that and, and we have to be grateful, you know, uh, and show our support and our appreciation, you know, for what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's all about, therefore, safety first. Safety first, man. And, you know, these, these guys, they put um, a lot of measures in place in the last 10 years to protect people, you know, from injury on the field, you know, this whole concussion thing. We have a podcast dedicated to. Um, and for this to happen the way it happened in the wake of all this stuff. Inexcusable. Right. And, exactly. But it's tough because football, there's a fine line because you want to be able to kind of encapsulate that fight or flight. And that emotion and use it as fuel within the bounds and the rules of the game. Yep. And a lot of athletes can do that. They have that chip on their shoulder. They use those invisible tattoos as fuel, their, their past traumas or difficulties as fuel for their, their abilities, their skills on the, on the football field. And we love field. that, man. We love yeah. that. That's why we, that's one of the main reasons as fans, I think, why we love the game. You know, it's passionate and, it inspires passion within us. So we love that. But we want to be in control. Yeah. You know, we want to do it the right yeah. way. Exactly. So I wanted to give a couple more updates on mm. some of our friends of the program or people we've talked about before. So Josh Gordon, we have we a whole... friends now, apparently. <laughs> we had our substance abuse um, episode where we detailed Josh Gordon's struggle and journey. Uh, he was recently cut by the Patriots a couple weeks back, but he's, he's picked up on waivers by the Seahawks. Um, Seahawks picked him up like 31st on waivers or towards the end. I'm not sure. Maybe like 30th on waivers. So a lot of teams passed on him. And, but the Seahawks picked him up and he's already making big plays. I wonder plays. why. He's already making big plays for the Seahawks. So, risk, risk factors. There you go, Josh. Well, we'll see. Mr. Gordon, Flash Gordon out there. Rolling uh, the dice. But you know, you know I, he I mean, he's, he is showing flashes. I mean, he left the Super Bowl contender too. I think the Seahawks, we can, they're, Safe to say they're a Super Bowl contender. No doubt. Russ Wilson. This, is, this could be the year, MVP. man. MVP. Because it was great about this year for, for, for Russell Wilson is that, see that, I've always believed him to be a true champion. And the problem with that first Super Bowl victory is that most people kind of give it to the defense. Legion of like Boom. The true MVP of you know, that, that Super Bowl. And so for his legacy, for the sake of his legacy, I always really wanted him to be able to, to say that you know it was his team. Well, this is his year to get his to get an MVP, kind mm-hmm. of put him on that level with Breeze, man. Yeah, be a champion uh, to be able to say that he's a champion of his team, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and man, remember that God they they wanted it for him so bad. You know that one year against yeah, the Pete, Patriots, uh, Pete Carroll. What I mean, had he play? made that play, you know that would have been the ball to beast mode. But I don't. Maybe he wasn't ready. Maybe it was more like Marshawn's team. Maybe there was just a lot of irony that was a there. hell of a, of a defensive play, though. I don't think we're given it was um, it was Butler the Patriot it was really there. the Patriots year. Okay, that was that's the final analysis of that one. 
And Russell Wilson's story, you know, had not been fully, you know, the story had been written. It's still, I mean, so, he's in the thick of it right now. Yeah, so he's un- going under. He's going. He's on a whole new level now. I mean, he used to get all that flack about being like a game manager guy and you know having a limited skill set, not being a true pocket quarterback guy. Man, boy, is he just spilled that. that he's a jack of all trades. That myth, and man, what about the new era, right? This guy. Patrick Mahomes on the one hand, right, in Kansas City. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson. Talk about what's happening now with quarterbacks out here. It's crazy. Some of these guys are revolutionizing the game, but Russell Wilson's being like, hold my beer. I'm going to go get this MVP. Aaron Rodgers is also having a little bit of resurgence this year. He is. I mean, he never really went anywhere. He's always been great, but... You know, what, what, what's amazing is, you know, just evolution, you know, and, and how things move. And, man, what's happening now with quarterbacks is, is great to see. Because when I was a kid, right, mobile quarterbacks, guys that couldn't stay in the pocket, they were kind of deemed inferior. You know, like I, one guy that comes to mind was Randall Cunningham, Ooh. you know, great quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles back in the he 80s. He had a great year for the Vikings. He did. They no, should have won it that year, probably. Probably, you know, and it was always about probably their kicker for for, for, for the, you know, the, the mobile quarterbacks, the Vicks, you know, these guys, they just came so close. But now it looks like, you know, that's kind of just the way things are, are a lot are, of these are, guys are going like are heading. Carson Wentz has some mobility. Josh Allen, mm-hmm. um, Baker Mayfield probably shouldn't scramble as much as he does, but he's moving to Sean Watson, of course, Lamar Jackson. Insane. And, and here's the thing, man, like. Let's ask ourselves why. Like, why is this happening? Why all of a sudden are you know our pocket quarterbacks suddenly becoming obsolete? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, Tom Brady is still winning championships out here. Let's. He's got real. great movement in the pocket, though. He has great movement in the pocket. That's a different type of movement. He's not going, you know, and running out, you know, to the sideline and then throwing these, you know, slim whatever, you know, cocky break, break, breaking his arm in two places to get the ball on time and on target or whatever. I mean. He's not doing that, um, but he's still great, obviously. So it's still not, it's not like these guys are obsolete. But yeah. what we're seeing is that because defenses are changing and these fools are just as fast as like the running backs, you know, the linebackers and these interior defensive guys are just, they're massive and they're really, really fast. And they're, I think the schemes, you know, in terms of pass rush, you know, are just becoming so sophisticated. Hey, you got to be mobile. You got to be able to get around. You got to be able to make a play. Yeah. Make a play. You got to make something out of nothing. Yep. And so we're getting a good balance. Kyler Murray's in the league now. So, but we also have some prototypical guys still coming up. Um, so it's Making fascinating. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone else we want to touch on. Antonio Brown is still clamoring on Twitter. He's filed, he filed a couple grievances to try to get his $40 million back from the Patriots and Raiders. Um, yeah. You hate that he lost all that money. You yeah. know, but I mean, man, he's a good example of a situation where it's best, you know, just kind of like hunker down. Keep your keep emotions your mouth, off the internet. Keep your mouth shut. That's what he tweeted at one point. Stay out, you know, stay out of the limelight and, and, and not necessarily look outwardly, you know, externally for gratification, you know, um, and for validation, for personal validation, you know. he's He's got... So much talent, and he has so much going for him in 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 terms of his playmaking ability, his work ethic, 
Yeah. He's got a lot of, a lot of value for who he is as a person mm-hmm. because he's got that dedication, that work ethic, that discipline that got him to be, I would have said, maybe the one of the best receivers I've ever seen play the game of football. Yeah. The way he run, runs routes. He's not the tallest, the fastest guy in the league, but he is. Well, he was the, the best wide receiver. He's the best of league. both worlds. He was the best of both worlds. You know, he could do, get the deep ball, but he'd also get in the, in the gutter, you know, in the, in the flat, you know, in the middle of the field, too. Um, you know, like the Edelman kind of guy, you know, he, he's a dual kind of threat in that Jack way. Jack of all receiver. trades. Yeah. And, and you like those kind of guys. And you ask yourself, man, why, why you can't just kind of put it all together? You know, you know, I think off we, the field. Yeah, I think we need to do a diva wide receiver episode, <laughs> or just the misnomers of the diva wide receiver. What does what does it mean to be a diva wide receiver? True. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Absolutely. I'm not not, not all to, receivers. I'm not are calling divas. Antonio Brown a diva by any means. Mm-mm. I think he goes There's beyond no, that. No, we don't. We, we don't. Yeah, well, we don't know these guys. You no. know, we speculate, um, but certainly the media portrays them yeah. that way. You know, the, the media story yeah certainly seems that way. The media um, always wants to jump on one side or the other. They they kind of t- t- try to polarize things. Yeah, you're either a villain or you're a hero. Well, that, you know that's what attracts fans. Exactly. That's what attracts you know. Yeah. They you know that's how they I think appraise their own value. That's how is, Facebook who's and, watching Facebook and Cambridge I Analytica got people fired up. Somebody's watching me. <laughs> Click. Oh, you know, speak, I had to. I had speaking to of which. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Link, LinkedIn. So you guys need to like join the conversation, right? We're 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 just you know we're psychiatrists, you know we're we think we you know kind of know what's going on, but we don't know everything. We don't want this to be the old heads podcast. No, no, we want you guys to get involved. Uh, we want your questions, we want your comments, we want your suggestions, we want your love. We want you guys to join the conversation. We want you guys to really get us smart on what's kind of going on out here nowadays in the real world. Um, so, so send us your questions and give us your feedback. And then we'll use this series of episodes, our, our in-the-moment mindfulness episodes, to answer your questions or to take your feedback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we want to hear from you, okay? Um, we, you, know, you may notice that we, we always end our podcast with let's... And the stigma, and, and let's, let's get, continue the conversation, right? But we never really talk much about what this conversation is, right? Is it just between me and Tori? You know, no, it's all of us, right? We we need to all join in on this conversation, this this dialogue about mental health. Yeah. So if you're on Twitter, which I don't necessarily recommend, join the conversation. Join the conversation. Join us. All right. So uh, let's end the stigma. Let's continue the conversation. To you